0: Welcome to this week's Treasury Career Corner podcast where we talk to treasurers about their treasury careers. This is one of our revisited episodes, joined by Shailesh Better Badur. Uh, Shailesh is the treasurer of Mohawk in the US. What you will hear is uh, our original episode, which has been remastered, improved on the sound as well. So enjoy that. Then we also catch up with Shailesh. I spoke to him originally in 2019. And I've recently caught up with him in 2023. So we talk about what happened post-pandemic or throughout pandemic and everything else. So enjoy the show. Welcome to this week's Treasury Career Corner podcast, where I interview treasury professionals about their treasury careers. I talk to them about how they got started in treasury, where they are now, or where they see both themselves and the treasury profession going next. In this week's show, I'm delighted to be joined by Shailish Benedapur, VP and treasurer at Mohawk Industries. Mohawk are part of the Fortune 500, they manufacture flooring globally, creates residential commercial spaces around the world, employing more than 38,000 people worldwide. Previously, they were considered to be an American carpet manufacturer, but now they've grown into, well, the world's largest flooring company with operations reaching the world, basically. So they provide a lot of the flooring surfaces, carpet, rugs, Ceramics, vinyl flooring, the lot, the real leading group. And you can find a lot more on their website as well. That's a bit about Mohawk, but let's talk about Shaylesh. Shaylesh got a really good background within Treasury, you know, right the way from Northwestern, Tellings School of Management, where I actually studied as well. So thumbs up with that. Right the way through, and he's grown his career through Johnson Controls and a number of other corporates. But we'll get Shaylesh to describe those and bring us to up to date with his career and look at the future and what he considers the developments of treasury that he's seen over many years. So if we take you back,
1: Trangish, how did you first ever get your first break in treasury? I would say that was accidental, I guess. Yes. When I came out of B-School, I went to General Motors and that was more in the you know, traditional finance, even global economic stat. Yeah, I ended up answering a Wall Street Journal ad for a position, I got a call back. Yeah. And now I, up to that point, and even probably since, I've never actually heard of anyone getting an answer back from a Wall Street Journal. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that one worked out nicely. It was a company that I had never heard of, uh, Holcim, uh, which was called Holderbank at the time, one of the, one of the three largest cement companies uh, in the world at that time. I, I took the interview and it was for Holcim North America and kind of just went from there. So you'd started as
0: in, in asset, but then that was your first step into treasury. Was that right? Or had you had an right. exposure?
1: That's right. So, I mean, actual, you know, capital markets and, and so on.
0: Yes. How did that appeal to you? What was treasury like when you first started? That was back in the 90s. So quite different how treasury is now, sort of
1: thing. Yeah, well, so there were a couple of things, right? One was, uh, this was a subsidiary of Pulsim in the Swiss model subsidiaries. self-financing right other than equity part so it was a full treasury type of thing now i went in as the manager of treasury but that's a bit of a misnomer i was both the manager and the staff but but it was a lot of uh, because we were privately held not not a publicly traded company we it was a lot of bank debt a lot of private placement type of stuff a lot of uh, industrial Mm -hmm. revenue bonds those kinds of things all of those things evolved during the time that i was there now at wholesome, uh, the, at least wholesome, North America, the concept of treasury was a much broader animal than right. what we think of as treasury. So uh, there is this idea of treasury, which is, you know, the standard cash management, uh, let's call it operations and capital market stuff. But beyond that is actually things like, you know, M&A, capital evaluation. How do you actually evaluate uh, capital. I spent the first year doing strategy work in terms of how should we invest money, what should we get rid of, those kinds of things, right? Which, which in a in a narrow sense, would not be a, might be under you know FP&A or something like that in from other company.
0: So you started up in Detroit and then moved to Belgium and then that was the start of some international moves. Well, explain yeah. that for our listeners a little bit because obviously quite unusual. Detroit. I oh, know. Let's go to Belgium how'd that come about?
1: well the wholesome, like that swift company uh, and they for years had been trying to get americans uh, in particular to move overseas yeah it was easy to get the swiss to move overseas it's generally easier to get europeans to move overseas but americans have always been a little bit of a tougher nut and um i had been in the chair in fixed and a half years uh, I decided to, yeah, a position came open in Belgium, uh, that they wanted me to, yeah. to take a look at. And, and I did, and it was my, my children were the right age. They were, you know, six and three at the time. So it was kind of a good time to do it. so we said, okay, let's do it. Yeah. yeah. And, and
0: you did a period of time there, but not that long before you were sort of now do a
1: little, time. a little less than a year, yeah. uh, for a, a lot of different reasons, but, but ultimately I had a nice, uh, yeah, again luck, serendipity, I had met a guy at Johnson Control a few years before that at a budgeting conference of all things, and he he asked me, he said, are you you interested in Singapore? And at the time, I didn't know anything about Singapore. I just knew Mm. something about chewing gum and, uh, (laughs) you know, that kind of thing, being really clean, kind of a Disneyland of Asia. Yeah. Yeah. but I said, yeah, I'm happy I mean, talk to talk to them, and, and I did, and, and it worked out nicely. So all of this was, n- none of this was planned. It was completely accidental, and yeah, sometimes that works. And the role over there, describe that for people and how
0: you made that move.
1: Yeah, so the role uh, initially, uh, well, the title was Treasurer for Asia Pac. Yeah. Over time, I did that for two years, and that gave me a good way to sort of settle into the region, culturally, you know, learn the geography is a huge geography. Just Asia alone is a huge geography. If you'd say it really goes from India to Japan and Korea and Australia and New Zealand. Uh, so that, that alone is just, a, is an enormous, uh, uh, geography after two years, I added to that being the finance director, uh, for the automotive, uh, portion of the Johnson Controls business. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I was carrying mm-hmm. both both uh, both hats, and so that included a lot of the uh, controller work and and all that that you would not yeah. normally find in those kinds of positions.
0: With that role, and you know, so you made the move to within Treasury, through to you now you were Singapore and leading the Treasury. Mm-hmm. How was it, what was the cultural difference in Treasury terms? You know, in terms of Treasury staffing or the way that people approached? was it different or was it? Exactly the same, you know, treasury was treasury.
1: No, uh, well, so it was different on a couple of uh, fronts, right? One, yeah. first of all, at uh, JOSCA, so you recall, I, I described in a previous answer that at Holsem, North America, treasury was a much broader animal. Uh, at JOSCA trolls, it was much more traditional. It, treasury was treasury, uh, what you would normally think of. So it's the standard, uh, you know, capital market, FF, uh, operations, and so forth. So that was different. Um, we had a pretty thin treasury staff. It was really uh, just a few of us uh, based in Singapore, but we utilized people on the ground in in various countries, obviously. So, uh, But we were able to centralize a lot of this through, in those days, it was Citibank, in, in, in Asia in those days anyway, it was Citibank and everybody else. Uh, but they had great systems that were, we could use that to essentially commonize and centralize the way we did all of these things and that just made life a lot simpler mm. um uh and what i found the 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 so that's that was one difference the other difference was of course uh in addition to being a very large geography uh it is a very culturally disparate uh region mm. right the chinese are obviously different from the japanese and the Indians and so forth, and even within China, the Beijing people are different from Shanghai people, and so forth. And so, those are all things that, you know, being somewhat new to the region, you had to actually learn, and that that that's the uh, that that's usually marked success or failure. Yeah. Internet bad assignment. So. And when you say learn, you that what well,
0: learning those cultural differences about how uh, how people think?
1: Yeah, yeah, how people think and. uh uh, you know how they might react. What will work? What won't work? And so mm. forth.
0: And so then, from there, you sort of were pulled back to to working the send, You know, the the head HQ back in Milwaukee, in yeah. the US. To, and then and then made a move on to loria, But talk us through the sort of transition from Singapore back to the US, and then and then a move move back to Singapore. How did that all come about?
1: We just and, rolls all roads led to Milwaukee, and yeah. um, so having. Internet uh, expat for them for six years. And they, they felt that it was time to come back to uh, States. And um, so I said, OK, that, that that's fine. I mean, you know, I don't think I was all that crazy about it, but, you know, I'd kind of done what I needed to do and absent some professional opportunity, I was it was probably time to do something else. Hmm. So came back, ended up taking over the we had a captive finance company uh, that was that was really Helping out customers in terms of financing. That, that, again, another one of those things that we inherited from from York. It was relatively small, uh, if I recall, it was something like a hundred million dollars in assets. So relatively small. In the course of let's say six months, you know, I basically came up with a strategy, kind of working alone, really. Um, either we had to grow this to you know a billion dollars, yeah. or just just close up shop. It's not worth it. Mm-hmm. Not worth the effort. In the end, we ended up closing it. Now, as uh, uh, in hindsight, uh, that really ended up being the right decision, given the financial crisis that came, Mm you know, literally the following year. Of course, we didn't know that at the time. We we can't take credit for that. But having closed that again, it was kind of time to do something else, and that was that was one of the things uh, I, I hear this a lot from expats. I agree with it completely, which is biggest challenge uh, for returning expats is keeping that level uh, of involvement the the you get to do so many different things when you're an expat particularly in asia because of the time change right if you're with a u.s company the time change to asia is is large mm. and so uh, so you are responsible for much more and then when you come back to the come back to the uh you know the corporate Corporate house, you're not. I mean, staffs are bigger. There's much more, you know, process and some people no, really bureaucracy sure. and so forth. Yeah. So it becomes a little bit more frustrating, I suppose. So when I got the, um, when I got the call for Laureate, you know, I was interested. I listened. And, uh, I mean, ultimately, you know, they asked, would, well, yeah, they they were trying to set up something in Asia and they asked me if I'd go back and I'd, yeah, mm-hmm. where do I find? The fifth flutter was, plus it was, you know, it was minus 20 in Milwaukee and that was, yeah. I, was I was ready to go. Yeah. To it. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you headed back to, uh, the sweltering heat of, of Singapore. No, so oh, it was nice though. I mean, yes. we literally got back almost, almost a year to the day, but then again, kind of plays itself in this case. Um, we got back there, you know, August 1st, 45 days later, Lehman sales, you know, we had all of our funding, so that was good, but. A big part of my job, uh, along with a bunch of, bunch of other folks was, uh, you know, we were going to try to roll up a lot of university systems, like do a lot of deals. Hmm. So the idea was, you know, we we're going to do eight or nine, 10 deals, whatever it was a year, and we ended up doing, you know, three, yeah. you know, so the math didn't make sense uh, for the company. And so there were a number of us that left after a couple of years. to okay. And then Treasury
0: pulled you back and sort of said, "Right." And you, this role came up. In Mohawk. what did you you think? At that stage, obviously, Mohawk, that was eight and a half years ago. It was a different company, I'm imagining. First of all,
1: coming out of the financial crisis, everything was a different company. Right? Yeah. So, so uh, uh, and they, again, this just happened to occur. Um, we were in, in the states for summer holiday, and I got a call to to Atlanta. We and you know Atlanta, I've always liked Atlanta. So it's a big city. It, you know, the weather's good. Not as drastic a move from Singapore to Milwaukee. It's, it's uh it's uh, like here winter is brief. So came back and, you know, it's to see a very senior position at at that time Fortune five hundred company. Yeah. And there was there, there was a lot of opportunity to do some stuff, which you know I've been able to do. And now I've been here eight years. So
0: And with that with that role itself, you know, what what was Treasury like when you started and where have you taken it from and to sort of thing? What was Was there a treasury when you walked to the door? Oh
1: yeah, 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 there was. The focus was probably a little bit different. I mean, number one, you know, again, you have to remember, you know, 2010, really the people are coming off of the financial crisis, right? So, uh, there's a fair bit of that. Mohawk had gone from, you know, call it 8 billion top line before the financial crisis to something with a five in front of it. Most times you're out of business at that point the thing that impressed me so much was the the folks here made the hard calls and did it fast mm. uh so that you know they actually never had a, a non-profitable year they were write off so it looked like you know in one year there was it was definitely a, a knockdown but it, yeah these are all non-cash items mm. but but the result was that the capital structure was more than 100% picked debt and when i say that all of the debt was fixed we had a, we had a, uh, an ABL line because it had gone to high yield at that point. And, uh, but, uh, we're sitting on a boatletic path, right? So, uh, so that makes it more than a hundred percent fixed debt and fixed rate debt. So, and high, high cost. And, um, and so over time I was able to, you know, kind of get that down either through maturities or through opportunistic buying and so forth. And as we sort of climbed the ladder back into investment grade, which took some years, uh, and some, some, uh, you know, being more transparent with the rating agencies and so mm-hmm. forth. You know, we were able to do a number of things, like um, uh, implement commercial paper programs both in the U.S. and in Europe. And so we now have you know a, a fair amount of European debt, mm-hmm. the euro debt. Uh, we issue commercial paper in in euros at negative rate, uh, and have been for probably eighteen months or so. So it, it, you know, it's hard to lose with that kind of thing um, as long as you can take advantage of it.
0: And how's the treasury department structured in a new organization
1: on that? Yeah, so we, yeah, so so we, it's really treasury and risk. And so we sort of conflate to risk being the traditional insurance type of risk. But when I say conflate, we, we have a lot of cross, uh, cross work going across, because we just don't have, Mohawk is is notoriously lean, Uh, so it's not like we have large staffs. In fact, the the $10 billion company, we have a a treasury risk staff of, you know, five or six. Now, we do use people on the ground in different places, but nevertheless, uh, it's not a large, uh, it's not a large group. Now, the way we've gotten away with that, to some extent, uh, is through, uh, kind of almost Brutal autom- uh, 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 automation, um, uh, yeah, So very robust in terms of uh, uh, electronic automation. Any of those, those kinds of things system. that we can do, that that we can, we we do.
0: And um, when you say that, you what everything goes in the system, and and if you can't, you, you force in it in there, or what, what's yeah,
1: it? yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, so you know, I mean, like uh, to give you, I mean, uh, just a real simple example, a trade workstation which we put into place, oh, I don't know, back half of 2012, right? So before that, it was all Excel spreadsheets. I've been actually a little bit shocked at how many of my peers still use Excel spreadsheet mm. for a lot of this stuff. And, uh, but, but with some, so this has enabled us, I mean, this, this took a whole bunch of work out of the, you know, just kind of basic work, a lot of manual work It took a whole bunch of that out of the system, which saves time. Mm-hmm. And reduces error rate et cetera, et cetera et cetera et cetera is that been one of the keys to success, or
0: what have you you run it lean lean and mean mm-hmm. in a good way yeah what have you seen what what's your resource within treasury what's the thing you said right let's keep it like this or where where do you focus your efforts on making it a better treasury and the offering to the business or do you work closely or what what's the sort of
1: the idea is that by doing more of this kind of thing, getting rid of the manual work, hmm. we are, we're able to, uh, help the business. Yeah. Right. That's the idea. Yeah. And, and that for the most part, that, that does work. Uh, Cause otherwise we get too bogged down with the non value adding manual things. Oh. And, and that is the idea. And so whether we're advising on, uh, foreign exchange, whether we're advising on leasing structures, you know, businesses will say, oh, I'd like to leave this or I'd like to do this. I'd like to go buy this and various currencies or do these kinds of hedges and and so forth because they're trying to protect their own internal P Mm. And uh, so so these are all things that we can we can talk to. And then there's a whole bunch of, you know, I spent a lot of time with um, uh, with with uh, my CSO and my CEO uh, in terms of, you know, what does capital structure look like? What is the optimal capital structure? Why are we doing this? But again, once more with feeling, what are we doing, right? So it's not something that we just do put on the shelf. It's a fairly durable strategy. Uh, so that that is the concept. And you've been 20
0: years plus in treasury, just like I've, I've been with you, been treasury recruitment as well. How have you seen it Change when you first started, well, you know, and, and I'm not talking, you know, we could just say, oh, you know, we'd sisters were like this. And you know, we talked the other day with the treasurer, and they'd say, you know, I remembered when we'd faxed CVs, and he was saying, well, we faxed confirmations. And yeah, the technology has changed. But how has Treasury in itself changed, would you say, over that time?
1: Probably in the same way that the CFO role has changed. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I think the CFO role historically was a former controller. Yeah. In later years, I think it intended to be controllers and treasurers to a lesser extent. But even beyond that, right, could be M&A folks. It, it all depends on the company, obviously. Mm. Mm. I would say it had been, become much more of a, a business type of role as opposed to a transactional type of role.
0: Mm. And we... You know, with, you say you run this quite lean operation, you know, staffing wise, but when you are
1: recruiting, what is it you look for in the people that work with you? I always look for really two things, right? If you have the energy and if you have the um, gray matter and integrity, obviously, Uh, my view is I can teach you anything. So it's not per se that we're looking for specific you know, you have to have done this, or you have to have done that. Uh, it's much more of a, you know, can you learn? And because my view is that, you know, this stuff is so dynamic and it's not that hard. You know, none of this is rocket science. Cool. So can people learn from this? And they, if the answer is no, then, you know, I don't care what kind of experience you have. I, I'm not interested. And when you say energy,
0: how are you assessing or measuring that when you're interviewing somebody? You know, come on, do some squal thrusts, you know, come on, you know, show us, you know, no, what do you like? He,
1: you know, you can, you can tell like, in the interview how how engaged people are, right? And right. So, and, and you can tell. So, uh, you know, what I do is I put a problem up on the board. I'll just make it up. Mm. I'll just put a problem on the board. I don't know exactly what I'm looking for, but I can kind of, uh, all right, let me see how you solve the problem. Yeah. Right. How would, you, exactly. how would you approach this problem? Yes. And, and um, you know, it might even be a problem yeah. we're working on. Yeah. You so, so, you know, how would you approach this? Good way to get your money's worth as well. So, you said, whole well, you know, and it's all, you know, it's a whiteboard. And so you get up and, um, there with the, with the marker and kind of walk me through how you would think through this and let, let's debate it. And that, to me, that's the best kind of interview. I prefer that. So have you
0: struggled to recruit when, when you're looking for that or has it changed throughout your, you've obviously recruited over number of years. Yeah. Obviously, a podcast hosted by the treasury group Company, so this is one of the reasons i follow this and trying to. have you seen the candidate pool change or have you seen differences internationally or what is, what have been your
1: thoughts no i don't think things have changed that much i mean you know recruiting uh, you people have trouble recruiting for all kinds of reasons it could be location of the position it could be all kinds of things right hmm. so it's hard to know necessarily what those are you know when i used to recruit i had really good success recruiting at Wholesome in part because it was a bit of a circular thing. You know, we were created good candidate and because we were recruited good candidates, we were able to recruit more good candidates. So generally we recruited them right out of business schools where they were sort of a cliche of paper and we could teach them. Um, and that that's how we did it. So and and I remember telling one of the candidates who ultimately came to work for us was because I think he was he was um entertaining a, a position at GM, actually. And I said, yeah, and I, I used to work at GM, a good company, you'll learn a lot. But I said, if you like what they do, you won't like what we do and vice versa. And when, uh, I said, I said the, the, the thing that I can promise you, I can't tell you what your next job will be. But what I can tell you is that whatever it is, you will learn a lot that you can take somewhere else if you need to. And so that, that's the way I think and I saw an interview that you've been, we were talking just before the show
0: started that you gave where you looked at that time, it was from a few years ago now, and you were talking about technology coming along and various other things, because there was going to be more of it from that. But where do you see Treasury going from here? What are you thinking is changing or approaching the world of Treasurers?
1: I think, uh, and I, I don't think there are a lot of people that hold this view, but i think there are going to be two major changes one is blockchain i don't i'm still trying to understand blockchain fully I, i've kind of gotten the basic concept but um but that again seeks out more manual stuff because you, you it's already there right once something is in the blockchain it can't be taken out and you've got instant verification you've got instant settlement it changes the way you think about the things right number one Number two is artificial intelligence. I'm, a, I I don't know exactly how this is going to work, but artificial intelligence. And I think about artificial intelligence in a very layman's way, and that is it. Code that right code, right? It adapts, so it learns and then it adapts. If I think about what I do as a treasure, the value that I bring as a treasure it, it in some part based on my experience right i've seen this movie before okay this has worked that hasn't worked so on and so forth there's no reason that that can't i mean if you think about artificial intelligence that kind of what that is right yeah they, it's a lot of aggregation of past experiences yeah Only it's much faster and it never forgets anything <laughs> yeah so i can see a lot of that happening i don't know oh, is <laughs> that a, a 20-year thing is it a 10-year thing I don't know, but I, I think it's faster than people think. And well, I think,
0: well, I was interviewing Ian from BHP uh, just on a recent show, and, and he was talking about how his role as treasurer won't exist in the future the way it did where he was before. But one of the key things he said that new people coming in and new guys was the understanding of IT and, and data. You know, that's where he sort of linked it to blockchain and everything else and, and making those decisions based on all the data that was coming out him as a, a treasurer and the way we sort of got to it was much more he felt he was a, an interpreter we didn't use that word at the time but an interpreter translates being that conduit for the cfo because there was so much stuff coming at the line down treasurers
1: yeah but i i yeah. tend to think that it's it always been that way um, right when i was at firm, the thing that we would try to encourage was you know so, say you were evaluating a $10 million piece of equipment. Yeah. Um, you know, for the data plant. And, and so, you know, the manufacturing guys would say, oh, yeah, this is going to do, it's going to increase production by 30% and all of those kinds of things. Right. So, so one of the things that, you know, in our evaluation of it, you go through the standard, you know, NPV types of calculation, yeah. which is, you know, anybody can do that. But, the, but the, but the key is then is to interpret that as to say, okay, let's say you don't get your 30%. Say it's 25%. Do you make your numbers? If the answer is no, then essentially what you, you have to then translate that back into manufacturing metrics to say, okay, if you're, you're saying you're going to get X, but you really going to get, let's say you only get X minus two. Are you willing to take your bonus on yeah. And that's that's where the rubber hits the road because the manufacturing guys they won't understand the I mean and you wouldn't expect anybody to understand the amorphous, you know NPV calculation what does that even mean but they will understand machine efficiency because hmm. that's what they do and so you are you are translating it into financial numbers and then you are translating it back hmm. and and so essentially you are telling a story. And so what's the? So it's the cost benefit analysis in some
0: ways of, if we were to implement blockchain, or if we do bring in this technology, what what does it give us? You know, what's the well, benefit to us?
1: In, in in the case of blockchain or any we of those kinds of things, that that's going to happen anyway. It's not going yeah. to be a choice, I think. So it, it's going to happen. Yeah. And the, the, the question then is, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you make use of it? How do you deal with it? Yes
0: and implement it the best way or you right. know, sort of leverage it as well.
1: Yeah. And yeah, yeah.
0: What do you do now? Based on that, you've looked at you look the the future of Treasury, but, you know, to wrap up today's conversation a little bit, and I'd use you know, this quite a lot so it can be a big answer, so don't worry. But someone looks at you, we, sp- we spoke before, and Shailesh has very kindly said that if people do want to connect with him or, you know, hear more and things like that, he's, you know, to connect with him by LinkedIn. So we'll put his LinkedIn profile in the show notes, but we also talked about, you know, Shannis' career, you know, it's it's encompassed a lot of international moves and everything else. Just looking at that, if someone wants a career like yours, they want to come into treasury, but then it sort of parachutes them around the world and doesn't, you know, what would, what advice would you offer or give them?
1: So I can say this now because I'm old. (laughs) We've had a The biggest lesson that I have taken from this is uh, you never really know what's going to happen. So all the planning in the world is great. It's uh, I think uh, there's a famous quote from Clausewitz, which is uh, all battle plans are obsolete the minute the first bullet is fired. Hmm. And I, I, I that's true. I mean, so you know, I never plan. Uh, in fact, so I'll give you an example. I, I so I was born in India. I came to the States when I was less than a year old. So I, I grew up in the States. And I, it, it had never occurred to me. I mean, I had thought about it a little bit every now and then, but it never really occurred to me that I would work overseas. Uh, and then the Belgium thing came up. And then without that Belgium opportunity, Singapore probably doesn't happen. And if Singapore doesn't happen, the kinds of things that I would have missed out on, now, now as I think about it, you know, both professionally and personally, you know, for professional growth, personal growth, my family, you know, my, my kids more or less grew up overseas. They are different people because of that. Hmm. You know, it just made our lives uh, as a family uh, much richer. It's made, it made my professional life much richer. And none of that was planned, right? And so I, I, I guess the, the advice that if anybody asked, uh, the advice would be kind of go with it. You know, you don't have to have all of the answers before you jump. Obviously, you don't want to make foolish mistakes and things like that. But at the end of the day, as long as you're learning something, then you're okay. You know, that that's something that you can then talk about. You can you can take somewhere else. As long as you're learning, you, it has not been a lost opportunity. And you never really know what you're going to learn uh, until you do it. And so that would be yeah, you know, Don't be afraid, I guess, would be the main thrust there. you go. Well, a
0: great wrap-up to today's show. Exactly as uh, Shailish says, don't be afraid. Grab those opportunities, exactly as he's talked about, and uh, away you go with your treasury career. So uh, as I said before, we'll put Shalish's details in the show notes. Thanks for the chat today. If you want a career like his, look at his profile, and hopefully uh, don't be afraid about following him. Shalish, many thanks for your time today. Thank you, Mike. So I hope you enjoyed that episode. That was with Shailesh way back when, crumbs in 2019 and how the world has changed ever since. What has happened? Pandemic, everything else. Ways of working have changed. We talked to Shailesh before about how recruiting good treasury candidates was a key thing and some of the bits, but the world of work has changed. Everything else and treasury has moved on. We're catching up. With the story now, four years later, Shelley, I'm going to pass back to you, bring us up to date, If you would, you're still at Mohawk, which is obviously Fortune 500 manufacturer, distributor of floor pro- products, but in, the, in floor covering products, but we've already heard that in the previous episode, but now, sir, we're catching up the conversation four years later. What happened
1: next? Good to talk to you again, Mike. You know, what's so interesting to me, just as an aside, you talk about this was back in 2019 and for me, I think for a lot of people, I think it's not like last year because COVID has had that effect of compressing time. When I say last year, I really mean (laughs) 2016. Yeah. So there's that. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff that happened, right? Obviously with COVID, just in the treasury space, just general company space, a whole bunch of companies did. What we did, which was go out to the capital markets and borrow yeah. to you know early especially early in the pandemic, nobody really knew what we're dealing with, nobody really knew where the bottom was, and so the whole idea was to go out and get as much or more than we thought you needed liquidity and and that's what we all did and then of course, the central bank stepped in pretty quickly. And everything rebounded, central bank stepped in, government stepped in. So even though people, a lot of people were, most people I would say, were working from home, really on the white collar side, they also weren't spending. They weren't, nobody was going on holiday. Nobody was going uh, to eat out, to go to movie theaters, whatever, right? No, nobody was doing any of that. So in that way, that Mohawk actually did quite well because what people were spending on was improving their own right they were you think about it right you're in your house a whole day with your spouse and your children maybe your adult children small children lots of children in the house lots of people in the house i would say and you're looking at that ugly carpet that you've got so uh, yeah i'd like to go ahead get rid of that so you, you saw a lot of this right where Uh, people were upgrading both inside and outside the house. And there was, there was a major push towards that. And then you also saw things like housing prices go up. And so a number of very sort of anomalous things that were always going to be temporary, but, and then that kicked in inflation, the supply chain, things like that. So you had some sort of weirdness going on. And see, we seem to be coming out of that. Now, obviously you've still got things like the Ukraine, Russia war, which put Pressure on energy prices, particularly last year in, in Europe and so forth. So there's some anomalous weirdness, but going on. But and then that's likely not going to end. It'll just be different. Yeah. But these are all things that you have to learn to deal. And what's that been like for
0: Treasury? If we hone it into you guys and things, what what's it been like for you? What's happened going to remote working and everything else? How did it affect yourselves?
1: It was very interesting. We were generally, I'll tell you, I worked at home, a grand total of about six weeks. That was it. We, we had some sort of unique issues here, but, but we weren't really at home that long. Now, not that matters so much, but, but that's, that, that's the fact. Now, I, I think the changes that show up are where Things were maybe a little bit more stable in terms of being able to recruit people, things mm-hmm. like that. That's a little bit more challenging now because people did get used to working remotely. People are less willing to do a commute like we're a bit outside of Atlanta, maybe farther than people want to go. Generally speaking, that's a little bit more challenging. And because the paradigm has changed in terms of remote, because people know they can do it. It's, and it's just harder to get people Mm -hmm. that that's, I would say has been the biggest single shift in the way.
0: Yeah. And to you, treasury wise, did treasury was resilient enough. I know a lot of people actually said there was emergency plans in place and everything else, and they
1: actually worked out rather well, and that's not to take it. Yeah, we had, we, when the pandemic. We had always worked on that because my, 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 my feeling always has been, look, if the building blows up, we still need to be able to, you know, move money, just basic blocking attack. Yeah. You right. still need to be able to do that. So I've always had that in mind. But when in the early days of the pandemic, like January, before people really knew it was a thing, we tested it all out with things like Zoom, which nobody had heard of Zoom those days. And now we can't stand it because we're too used to it. But it's, uh, yeah, we had tested it all out. So when we pulled the trigger, which was probably in early March, late February, we were ready and going, things worked out well. Yeah. And now we've come
0: back into the office and we're looking at the future and things. What are, we just spoke before the show about world events and everything else. Everything seemed to get back to a sort of a steady state as it were. What are you facing now, treasury wise, and how are you seeing it for the future? Something. Sort of what are the things that other people should be thinking about, do you see, and you're planning for?
1: First of all, I, I would not agree that everybody is back into the office, like what I'm saying, right? So here at Mohawk, we're back in the office, but a lot of people are not. I look at my children, they are still working from home. They're in tech, but they're still working from home where they are. And they've been told they're going to work them all forever. Now, to my mind, forever is a long time. So you never really know, but they've been told that. But I guess my point there is as long as a significant number of people are, or have shifted that paradigm, it's going to affect everybody, whether you're in the office or not. Yeah. yeah. You're going to have to adapt to that new workforce. And that, that's the key. Yeah. To either add or more likely place people. Now we have specifically, we have always been highly automated. We did this when I came in 13 years ago now. We started automating pretty significantly, taking out a lot of the manual processes. So it you something as simple as a treasury workstation, which takes out a lot of a lot of those sort of manual, very tedious kinds of day-to-day things. And, and that allows us to work at a relatively lean, with a relatively lean structure. And so that, that helps. And that's going to happen, I think more and more just because I like, think you're not going to be able to get people and uh, there are fewer people in the world, right? So yeah. you've got, so I think automation, I think AI is going to be a thing. And that's going to, that's going to be a big play. And so I think you can see a
0: lot. Just touching on that with AI that you and I had spoken about it before, but that you, we would both agreed at the time that things like advantage in blockchain AI will impact. But I did a post the other day and I was just talking to people that it's going to impact, but not wipe out. It's going to reduce manual processes. And actually for me as a recruiter, if we can embrace AI, it's going to mean I can spend more time talking to clients like yourself and it takes away the close ended task, but not the open-ended task. It means I can spend more time talking to candidates about themselves. And yes, there's some stuff you can get, but in actual fact, it frees me up to do the interesting
1: activities personally. Do you see similar yourself or what are your thoughts? I think it depends on your timeframe. I think that so. With AI, right, everybody gets focused on uh the big horror stories, right? So we're gonna get enslaved by by a server someplace. Yeah. We just went to see uh, the new Mission Impossible movie yesterday, which was the whole AI thing. You know, that's fun movie. But yeah, so it, it seems fantastical. At the same time, I don't think it is longer term. So we talk about the more interesting things, but if you think about what let's say a treasurer, why do you hire a treasurer? You hire a treasurer, uh, mainly for accumulated experience and therefore the judgment, right? That that's the idea that you could think your way through situations. Now that is a function of, okay, I've seen several movies before, I know how they turn out. So I tried that, that doesn't work. Let me do something different. And so over the years, you pick these things up. Now, take that as AI, where it's not just a single person's experience. It's the whole thing. And and it accumulates fast and you can run multiple scenarios. There's nothing that we do that is rocket science. There's, I see no reason why it wouldn't eventually wipe it that sounds dystopian but i fully believe that no i think it's great and wrapping up today
0: because you gave that you were very kind with your time last time any nuggets any pieces of advice you'd just give to the treasury folks out there if they're thinking about their careers or thinking about what they should be doing next what are your sort of takeaways from this updated show four years later it's crazy four years later but we'll-
1: i don't actually remember if i said this back then but thing would certainly hold, which is for Treasury people in particular, because Treasury is somewhat, let's say, wall-not function. Right? Not I'm like tax, for right? Yeah. But I think it's much more important to get into the business and to really understand the business that you're dealing with. Because that because otherwise you're just What you're really doing is something, right? You don't have a full understanding of what's going on in the business. And so I think to a large extent, if you can really get into the business and honestly, if you're, let's say you're lower down in the treasury space, let's say you're a treasury manager, for example, it's not a bad thing for your next assignment to be in the business. So doing something else, you can always come back. But, but doing something else and broadening that, broadening that experience base, I think is not just important. I think it's actually, yeah, that's the kind of thing that that folks will be looking for later. Fantastic.
0: Thank you, sir. You've been very kind again, looking forward to seeing you later on this year, hopefully and or soon. And uh, thanks very much for sharing some of your insights and onwards and upwards, sir. Uh, Yes. Yeah. Good to talk to you again. Thank you. Hello, Treasury professionals. Before you dive into the next episode, could you please help me continue to grow the world's only global Treasury salary survey? That's right, our one. We run the results quarterly, so you know your compensation is constantly benchmarked against the market and your peer group each and every three months. It's amazing, isn't it? Just go to treasurysalary.com takes less than two minutes to complete, start to finish. You then gain exclusive, regular, updated access to our salary survey, keeping you ahead of the curve. The survey is an evolving, breathing entity that constantly tracks the salaries of Treasury professionals on a global basis. Currently, we have over 1,100 participants taking part. By the end of 2023, I want to hit 1,500, but that's where I need your help. Please make it happen at treasurysalary.com. Thank you for being such amazing, loyal listeners. Your support is incredible. Couldn't do it without you. Thank you. Go to treasurysalary.com. Make it $1,500 for 2023. Love you guys.